the world of Islam, culture, religion, and politics. Welcome to episode 8 of the World of Islam podcast with Amin Tais. In the last two episodes, we provided a summary of what the Sirah literature tells us about Muhammad's life and prophetic career. And the way I worded this sentence is important because it has become commonplace in our discussions to think that it is easy to know who Muhammad was and what he did. So basically, uh, all one has to do is read quote-unquote biographies of Muhammad and boom, there you have it. You now know who Muhammad was and what he did. I insisted in earlier episodes that we need to move away from such simplistic perspective. That is why I also insist that we uh, that what we encountered in the last two episodes is what the Sira literature tells us about Muhammad. It is worth uh, repeating here that the Sira rises at a particular time in the history of the Muslim community. Uh, it is shaped by the needs and limitations of the era, and uh, the editors of the Sira have made certain editorial and methodological choices to put together this story. So rather than thinking of the seerah of Muhammad as telling us uh, who he was, we need to think of it as how a community of scholars saw him. Scholars uh, living a century after Muhammad within a large and diverse Muslim empire and often uh, under the patronage of the political authorities of that empire. This is different from knowing the historical Muhammad, which is likely an impossible goal to reach, and also different from how Muslims in different periods and in different places perceive their prophet, uh, which we can uh, have some access to, but with uh, certain limitations. This remark is particularly important as we enter the tricky world of controversial episodes of the Sira narrative, which is the topic of today's uh, podcast. As far as these controversial aspects, we cannot simply approach them as facts, nor can they simply be disregarded on whim. Instead, we must always remember that these stories were, were the product of a process of negotiation within a scholarly community belonging to a triumphalist and militarily successful empire that was seeking to maintain a unified and stable community under its political leadership. Uh, before getting to the details, I'd like to make uh, two uh, notes. The first one is that the reason I bring these controversies up is not to create any polemics. 
it is quite the opposite. Just as stated in the introductory episode of this podcast, my goal for all this work is in fact to move the discussion beyond polemics and apologetics. There is perhaps no material used by those who attack Islam more than these controversies, and there is perhaps no material avoided more by apologists than these controversies. Uh, the result is that people just seeking to understand are stuck between a highly polemical perspective, only interested in highlighting and often misrepresenting seemingly negative elements in Muhammad's life, and between a highly apologetic perspective, only interested in showing the greatness of Muhammad. What I suggest here is a third approach uh, that recognizes that we are dealing with a complex narrative created by human beings, by historical communities, uh, a narrative uh, in which are mixed the good and the bad. We need to be able to put uh, these elements on the table and discuss them as mature human beings uh, living in the 21st century and seeking to decipher how we can work through these difficult issues and create positive meaning for us today, not for political gains, not to score points against the other group uh, over there, but to move forward together as human beings and as global citizens. The second note is that um, considering something to be controversial has a lot to do with the time and place in which one is positioned. Cultural and social norms shift from one period to another. Cultural and social norms are different from one geographical area to another. What we need to to, uh, to say here is that um, we might what might seem controversial today might have been the accepted norm during the time of Muhammad or the time of the editing of the Sira uh, and in the geographic space of the late antique Near East. Let's now consider some of these seemingly controversial elements in the Sira. Uh, we'll start with the Satanic Verses. Uh, this phrase is probably familiar to people because it is the title of uh, Salman Rushdie's novel that led to the infamous fatwa by the Iranian cleric and leader Ayatollah Khomeini calling for the assassination of the Indian novelist. So what are these satanic verses? A number of Muslim uh, scholars or historians, including the famous historian Tabari, uh, who died uh, in the year 923 of the Common Era, uh, and the Quran commentator uh, Al-Qurtubi, who died in 1273, uh, and the editor of the Sira uh, that we mentioned uh, uh, earlier, Ibn Ishaq, 
who died in 767, they all reported a story according to which, during his career in Mecca, at a time of extreme difficulty, Muhammad uh, is supposed to have uttered a Quranic verse that compromised his mon monotheistic message. Uh, this verse or these verses uh, are supposed to have said أَرَأَيْتُمْ أَلَّاتِ وَالْعُزَّةِ وَمَنَاتَ الثَّالِثَةَ الْأُخْرَى تِلْكَ الْغَرَانِيقُ الْعُلَى وَإِنَّ شَفَاعَتَهُنَّ لَتُرْجَعَ Have you considered Alat, Al-Uzza and Manat, the third one, the other one? These are the high-flying cranes and their intercession is to be sought. Uh, the verses are reported to have pleased the Meccan uh, foes of Muhammad, uh, the pagans, the polytheists, because they recognized, because these verses recognized the status of local idols, uh, the names of Allat, Al Uzza, and Manat. Uh, but ultimately, the angel Gabriel is said to have intervened and informed Muhammad that Satan had fooled him into believing the verses to be from God. The satanic verses were then, were then replaced uh, by ones that say, In hiya illa asma'un sammaytumuha أنتم وآباؤكم ما أنزل الله بها من سلطان إن يتبعون إلا الظن وما تهوى الأنفس ولقد جاءهم من ربهم الهدى These are but empty names you have invented you and your ancestors for which God has bestowed no warrant from on high and this is now in سورة الزمر the chapter of Azumar, which is chapter 53 uh, and uh, the verse number 23. What is interesting about this story is that it seemed to be accepted by early Muslim authorities, but uh, later Muslim scholars have generally strongly rejected it as a fabrication and as heretical. This is particularly true of Hadith uh, scholars, the Muhaddithun, who insisted that the chain of transmission of this report was weak. The question here is to what extent does the solidification of an orthodoxy in Islam with particular beliefs about Muhammad, about prophecy, about the true religion, how much uh, this domination of an orthodoxy participated in moving uh, outside the domain of the acceptable what might have been seen as tolerable or acceptable in earlier more flexible settings. Certainly, by the time Islamic orthodoxy has taken a solid form in the 11th century, such story creates problems because if Muhammad can be tricked by Satan, what guarantees that the Qur'an is the perfect, uncreated, eternal word of God? Um, it is, however, north, uh, worth noting that uh, some important later scholars like uh, Ibn Taymiyyah, who dies uh, 1326, accepted this story as authentic and explained that even if Satan was able to trick the prophets on that occasion, the intervention of Gabriel shows that any other instances of uh, satanic um, manipulations uh, would have been corrected by God.
One of the aspects of the Sira that has constantly been a ground of attack by Western critics from an early period is Muhammad's multiple marriages. Uh, he might have had up to 13 wives. Uh, critics often raise this issue to try and paint Muhammad as a lustful man. For the sake of clarification, it must be highlighted that although attraction is presented in the seerah as a factor in a couple of these marriages, many of the marriages must be seen in the context of the prevailing customs of the time. In a tribal setting like Muhammad's, a leader, a sheikh of a clan or a tribe, would establish alliances with other clans or tribes through marriage. When Muhammad uh, was in Mecca without a community, uh, he was only married to Khadija. After becoming a leader of a community, polygamy uh, becomes part of the picture and a number of the women uh, that he marries are widows uh, of a more advanced age. In accordance with custom as well, some of Muhammad's wives and concubines were captives from defeated tribes. This is the case of uh, Juwayriya from the Banu al-Mustaliq uh, and uh, Safiya from the Jewish tribe of Banu al-Nadir who uh, both became uh, Muhammad's wives. Muhammad's concubines were uh, Rayhana from the Jewish tribe of the Banu al-Nadir, uh, who was the wife of a member of the Jewish tribe of Banu Quraidha, and uh, Mary the Copt, Maria al-Qibtiya, who was not from a defeated tribe, but was a slave sent to Muhammad as a gift by the ruler of Egypt. All these examples were largely free from controversy in their original context. Um, that being said, I will focus on two particular marriages that generated a great deal of controversy, one within Muhammad's own lifetime and the other only in the modern world. Let's uh, start with the last one. Aisha was the daughter of Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr is presented in the tradition, especially in the Sunni tradition, as a highly respected man who was Muhammad's best friend. He would go on to become the first leader of the community after the death of the Prophet. Aisha, Abu Bakr's daughter, would marry Muhammad and would become both an influential figure in Sunni thought and a controversial figure in Shi'i thought. Um, Aisha, according to many reports, was only uh, about nine years old when her marriage to Muhammad was consummated. Uh, this young age is of course problematic for us today. It is, however, important to note that it does not appear to be problematic in the setting of that time. In Arabia, as well as in many other parts of the pre-modern world, girls married at a very young age. No one in the entourage of Muhammad seemed to object, including his critics. Nor do Christian polemics from later centuries attack Muhammad on this marriage. But with the shift in our norms in the modern age, this, episodes, this episode becomes highly controversial. 
Of course, this marriage to a young girl may just be seen as a practice from a different time that has little relevance to us today. That is indeed largely the case. However, given that for Muslims, Muhammad is not simply a historical figure, but the last prophet of God and an example for all times and places, one still finds some few instances in which problems arise. For example, in 2008, a Moroccan imam answering the question from an inquiring believer about marriage produced a response or a juridical opinion, a fatwa, in which he stated that marrying a nine-year-old girl is permissible because the Prophet had set a, had set a precedent for that. Uh, the fatwa was thankfully rejected and strongly attacked by all the major scholars of Morocco, but it remains that this kind of situation creates much unease within Muslim communities and, give, and gives polemicists uh, ammunition to attack uh, Islam. As a result, many Muslim scholars in, in the uh, recent past have spent a lot of time calculating the age of Aisha using a variety of sources in order to show that Aisha was a lot older than presented in traditional Muslim literature. So we see here an example of how the shift in social norms might also dictate shifts in how social actors interpret their religion. But while Muhammad's marriage to Aisha was not controversial in pre-modern times, his marriage to a woman by the name of Zainab was attacked by some of his enemies within Medina, but also in the later European polemics up to the modern age. Zainab, who was a, a noble woman from the uh, Quraysh, uh, was convinced by Muhammad to marry his own adopted son Zayd, a freed slave who had been a close servant of Muhammad from early on. The marriage of Zayd and Zainab did not, however, last for long, possibly because Zainab was in love with Muhammad himself. Zayd would divorce Zainab and Muhammad will end up marrying her. Rumors started spreading, spreading about this situation uh, but this was even more problematic because uh, in Arab custom of the time, it was not acceptable uh, for a man to marry uh, his son's divorcee. A Quranic verse came to insist that children by adoption uh, were not the same as children by blood in this regard. Uh, one verse uh, dealing with this episode states وَإِذْ تَقُولُ لِلَّذِي أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَأَنْعَمْتَ عَلَيْهِ أَمْسِكْ عَلَيْكَ زَوْجَكَ وَاتَّقِ اللَّهِ وَتُخْفِي فِي نَفْسِكَ مَا اللَّهُ مُبْدِيهِ وَتَخْشَى النَّاسَ وَاللَّهُ أَحَقُّ أَنْ تَخْشَاهِ فَلَمَّا قَضَى زَيْدٌ مِنْهَا وَطَرَى زوجناكها لكي لا يكون على المؤمنين حرج في أزواج أدعيائهم إذا قضوا منهن وطرا وكان أمر الله مفعولا And when you said to the one on whom God bestowed favor 
and you bestowed favor, keep your wife and fear God. While you conceal within yourself that which God is to disclose, and you fear the people, while God has more rights that you fear Him. So when Zaid had no longer any need for her, we made her to you, in order that there not be upon the believers any discomfort concerning the wives of their adopted sons when they no longer have need of them. And the command of God was accomplished. This is in uh, Surat Al-Ahzab, chapter 33, uh, verse 37. The seerah, as edited by Ibn Ishaq, as well as an early important work of uh, historiography called the Tabaqat, Tabaqat by Ibn Sa'd, uh, who dies in 845, uh, they contain reports about instances in which Muhammad ordered the assassination of poets who were using their poetic skills to attack Muhammad and his community. Two men by the name of uh, Abu Afak and uh, Kab ibn al-Ashraf, both uh, Jewish poets, and a pagan poetess by the name of Asma bint Marwan, uh, were the targets of assassins allegedly sent by Muhammad himself. This uh, perhaps highlights how politically uh, potent the spoken word, particularly poetry, was at the time, uh, which might have been a considerable challenge to a community under siege trying to establish itself uh, like the community of Muhammad. It is important here to also highlight that a number of Muslim scholars of Hadith in pre-modern as well in the mo as in the modern world have rejected the authenticity of the reports uh, about uh, Abu Afak and Asma uh, because of their weak chains uh, of transmission. We will discuss in detail this concept of chains of transmission in an upcoming episode dedicated to uh, Hadith. You might recall from our episode on Muhammad's career in Medina that according to the Sira, the relation of Muhammad and his followers to the uh, Jewish tribes of Yathrib or Medina deteriorated as time passed and as the conflict between Muhammad and his Meccan enemies intensified. Uh, the conflict with the Jewish communities reached its highest point in the incident of the uh, Banu Quraidah, who were accused of treason by breaking their contract with the Muslims and supporting the Meccan siege of uh, Medina. The Banu Quraidah agreed to accept the judgment of an arbiter as long as he was from their old uh, tribal allies of Al-Aws. Uh, Muhammad allowed uh, Sa'd ibn Mu'adh, a leader of the Aws, to uh, make the judgment. Uh, 
and claiming to follow the ruling of the Torah uh, itself, uh, maybe talking about the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 20, uh, verses 12 through 14. Uh, so claiming to follow the rulings of the Torah itself, uh, Sa'ad decided that the men, hundreds of them, ought to be killed and uh, the women and children taken as slaves. Uh, Muhammad approved and allegedly said that this judgment was similar to God's judgment. To conclude this episode, I would like to say that these controversial elements in the seerah of Muhammad cannot simply be dismissed, and indeed they must be seriously discussed, uh, partly because some extremist Muslim groups in recent history have chosen to focus on some of these elements to support an extremely harmful religious, social, and political agenda. However, it is as important to remember that it would be a monumental mistake to exclusively focus on these controversial elements as a way to understand the legacy of the Prophet uh, in the minds of Muslims. This legacy in the long history of Islam is much larger than, 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 than any of these uh, elements. The image of Muhammad that would arguably dominate in mo most Muslim settings uh, in the last few centuries is one focused on the spiritual attributes of the Prophet. The mystical tradition of Islam or Sufism will develop a theologically sophisticated and creative uh, uh, ways of approaching uh, the Prophet and the influence of this high tradition of Sufism on popular religion led to this popular form of religion being dominated by the uh, love of Muhammad as spiritual guide and as intercessor with God. Um, and this will become clear to us in the next episode which uh, will also be the last episode uh, on Muhammad in this series. Um, it is true that for a variety of reasons, the influence of more Puritan forms of Islam has changed some of these dynamics in the modern period, but that needs to be addressed more carefully and more analytically, and we will do that in the future when we discuss Islamic thought in the modern world. But in the next episode, we will try and highlight some of the ways in which Muhammad was portrayed or uh, understood by various Muslim communities in the history of Islam. In the second part of that episode, we will also briefly consider the perspectives of those among the scholars of Islam in Western academia who reject the traditional uh, Muslim narrative about Muhammad as completely unreliable. Uh, until then, I leave you in peace. Assalamu alaikum.